Judges chapter 2, there are some sermons that um, God gives you that you preach. There are some spiritual truths that it's who you are. I, I don't believe there are sermons that a pastor preaches that he doesn't feel the weight and the impact of, of, of this is something that is, that is very much a powerful truth for God's people. But then there are those sermons that the pastor feels very, very deeply about, that God has done a work in his heart. And if you were to list probably 15 sermons that I preach, this would be one of those kind of sermons that this is just not what I say. This runs deep into the core of who I am. Judges chapter 2 in verse number 6, when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And ushers, I'll let you have a seat there in the scripture reading. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their children, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Probably in the early 90s, probably, probably I would say along the early to mid-90s, I received a phone call, and I was asked to come speak at a church in Long Beach, California, Pacific Baptist Church. I'd never been there before. I'd never, I, I'd only met the youth pastor, Brother Ross, one time when I was preaching in the Los Angeles area. And uh, I stepped into the church my, that first time being there. The plane was a little bit delayed getting in. And uh, I was met at the airport and uh, by uh, one of the pastors. And, and I had enough time to go get ready, had enough time to come in. I had not yet at that point been exposed to the church. Usually I like to walk the people and get to know the people and joke with them and get to find out about the people. That night, I, very first time there, and, and uh, I, when I walked out, I stood next to uh, Brother Joe Esposito, the pastor, and, and when I stood there, I am looking at hundreds of Filipinos, Asians, and they started singing. The very first song they started singing was, He is mine. Long before the fall of man, God designed a master plan. They started singing. And I'm standing next to Brother Esposito, and all of a sudden my spirit is just overwhelmed. And I looked at him and I said, Pastor, what is happening? And he looked at me and he said, Brother Gray, my heart's desire is for Christianity to be generational. My heart's desire. His son Joseph was just a young man at the time. And he pointed to Joe and he said, that's my son. He said, I want my God to be his God. And then I want his children, my grandchildren, for his God to be their God. You find here a text 
in a verse, in verse number 10, in just a small phrase. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. I, I, I could understand this text if it was in context of the biography of Hitler. I could understand if in the lineage of Hitler, if something was said like this, and Hitler's grandchildren and great-grandchildren knew not the Lord. That would be understandable because Hitler knew not the Lord. I could understand if we were talking about Stalin. I could understand this if we were talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. I could understand this if we were talking about a, 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 a family that they had never had the Lord. My father calls me one day and he says, son, I want you to drive your mother and I to Italy, Texas, and we want to go down there and we would like to just take a day trip. And so I got my car, went over and took their car because it was their gasoline. And uh, so uh, we headed out and we went down. On our way out of town, we had to stop at a gas station. And when we stopped at the gas station, my father took out a track and he was witnessing to the gas station attendant. And he got all the way through, and I'm standing there watching my dad lead this young man to the Lord, as I have seen him lead hundreds of people to the Lord. And, and when, he, when he was done, he said, I would like to pray for you. And so, uh, what's your name? And that young man told him his first name, and then he said his last name, Dillinger. My father stopped, and he said, like, Dillinger. And he goes, yeah. Dillinger. My dad, my dad said, like, like you mean John Dillinger, like the, the gangster. My dad was trying to be very politically correct. And the young man said, yes, I am that Dillinger. And he said, up to this point, had your family ever gone to church? He goes, nope. And until the day you asked me, point you asked me about Jesus Christ. Now, see, that's understandable to me. Totally understandable to me that there would be this generation. But, but ladies and gentlemen, we are not talking about a family that knew not God. We are talking about a family that they were in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. And we are talking about a family that God came down and delivered their family album was all about God. Their heritage was all about God. Their father Abraham passed down this God to them, and God brought them out. God saw them through the wilderness. God fed them. God gave them water. God protected them. God guided them with a, with a, uh, a, cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire. This was this kind of God. And now when they are let go into the land here and Joshua had done his job to get them there, then all of a sudden the Bible records the saddest phrase ever. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. I have had a passion in my heart and my soul that there not be anyone that carries the name of gray that does not know the Lord. 
I would hate to think that somewhere down my lineage, that somebody would knock on a door and that somebody that is the great, great grandchild of Bob Gray II would say, God who? Church what? We're going to do what? Bible? Ladies and gentlemen, if it can happen to this family, then it can happen to your family, and it can happen to my family. I'm not responsible for six generations from right now, and I'm not responsible for four generations from right now. I am responsible for the next two generations. I am responsible to keep God alive in the life of my children, and then I am responsible to keep God alive in the life of my grandchildren. Everybody loves their grandfather. Everybody loves to see their grandfather. Everybody, especially if you have a wonderful set of grandparents, like the people in this auditorium. And how many of you in this auditorium that are grandparents? You are the wonderful epitome of grandparents. Would you raise your hand? You, God has sent you to your, absolutely, Miss Michelle. Brother Miss Birch, would you just, come on, God's good, right? And, uh, and, and, and everybody loves to see their, their grandfather. But, but there's something about your great-grandfather. There, there's something about your, your one generation removed. You, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that my grandchildren, as they grow older, are going to go, no, no, we're going to go see Grandbob. We, we like are going to go see Grandbob. Even now when I see them, they, they run up and they hug me and they jump into my arms and, 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 and just there, there's that excitement and that, and, and that rise in their voice. And Grant hasn't quite learned that yet, that Grand Bob's got all the money in the world according to his budget. But when he learns that, he'll love me too. And Chip loves me. He loves me the fact he spits up on me and uh, he loves me that way. But, but, I, but my great-grandchildren won't feel that way about me. I can just hear Blake and Grayson and Natalie and Chip and Grant as they go, we're going to go see Nani and Grand Bob. And their children are going to be, uh, do we have to? Do you know he's just an old man that sits in a chair with a beard and he drools and, you know, he just stares and, you know, where, where my kids love me and my grandkids adore me, there's this generation down here, they wouldn't drive 100 miles, they wouldn't drive 50 miles, they wouldn't drive 5 miles to come see great-grand-bob because great-grand-bob at that time is just a staring shell of a man that he used to be. I only have two generations. This generation that arose that they knew not God. I just want to come to you tonight and tell you this. Get off the sidelines. Get in the game because time's running out. Stop playing Christianity and stop playing God. Your kids don't have time for you to make up your mind if God's real. Your grandkids don't have time for you to banter back and forth. Well, is this the right way or this the way? No, no, no. Settle it in your heart that God brought you out of Egypt. God saved your soul. God did something wonderful in your life. And if it's good enough for you to wrap your life around, then it's good enough to bring your kids in and let them wrap their life around. And then it's good enough to tell your grandkids all about the God that delivered you at some point in your life. Give them so much God that if they do decide 
to go live for the devil, that they have to step over a lot of information about God. You and I must remember this. God has exposed himself to us in a lot of ways, and this is not the time to back up on how good God has been to you. God's been good to me. And could I say this very frankly, very boldly, yet very lovingly? If you're single here tonight and you decide at any time to kick God out of your life, would you do us a favor? Don't have kids. Let me say that again. If you're here tonight and you're just marking time till you can get out of this thing called Christianity, don't bring kids into a life with no God. Because a life of no God means a life of no Jesus. And a life of no Jesus means they're going to grow up and die and go to hell. And that's not fair. You say, Pastor, that's pretty bold. Somebody needs to be bold and let you know that we only got one shot to the next generation. And that next generation deserves to see and hear and feel the power of God that you and I have heard and feel and seen. And that rocked your world and rocked my world and made us stand up and say, I'm going to serve the Lord till the day I die. And nothing's moving me off ground zero. And nothing's moving me off dead center. And I may go down an old fogey. And I may go down being looked at like I'm narrow and I'm, and, 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 and I'm, and I'm just shallow and feeble but what better way to go out than preaching and teaching that God's alive and that God's the only way to live and this thing a church is not antiquated and it's not old it is exactly relevant because Titus said in this present world ladies and gentlemen you and I must remember that children and grandchildren are alone from God I, I am not saying that everybody that leaves our church is anti-God. I am saying this, the devil's anti-God. And the devil doesn't want God continuing. The devil wants less God, not more God. The devil wants less church, not more church. The devil wants less Bible, not more Bible. The devil wants less prayer, not more prayer. The devil wants less children's choirs, not more children's choirs. The devil wants less teen choirs that we heard sing Wednesday night, not more. The devil wants less. But God is wanting us to keep him alive. Can I ask you a question? What are you doing to keep God alive in the life of your children? And what are you doing to keep God alive in the life of your grandchildren? This generation that arose that knew not God... This generation, they arrived at this point, I believe, if you'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter, I mean, Joshua chapter 9. And I want to give you several things tonight that if you're like, Pastor, how do I keep God alive in the generations to come? I don't know what my great-great-grandchildren are going to do. I don't know what my great-great-great-grandchildren are going to do. But I want everyone who passes the casket of Bob Gray the second at the end of my life to look at me and be able to say this. He was not a perfect man. He was not the ideal man. But that man had God at the forefront of his life. The biggest thing you can be known for is not your houses and your lands or your bank accounts or your prestige or your ability. The biggest thing somebody could say about you is you are a man of God, and the biggest thing somebody can say about you is you are a woman of God. Man of God is not what I do, 
The man of God is who I am, not because of my profession, but it's because God saved me, and I am a man, and I belong to God, and everything I'm going to do is about God to the best of my ability. Please know this. You have one shot at keeping God alive. And I think there needs to be a revival and a renewal and a resolve. And I'm coming to you tonight, church, and this was not the sermon planned for tonight. I had a total another sermon planned and ready to go, and it was about evaluation of a church. But God was like, this is the truth. Look at Joshua chapter 9 and verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai... All of a sudden, word had, had come, and, 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 and word had come that they had started whooping. So, so, so they, they had swung south in their 40 years. They now have come north, and now they've crossed over Jordan. And when they're cross, on their way to crossing over Jordan, they had whooped Jericho. They had struggled at Ai, but then they had whooped Ai with a God-given ambush. Word started spreading. The inhabitants of Gibeon, pick it up in verse 4, they did work wildly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clout, clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went unto to, they went to Joshua under the camp of Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, look, look, they're getting ready to tell a lie. Look at it. We become from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a what? League with us. You can kind of take note and say out loud, liars. And these bottles of wine which we filled with new, and behold, they be rent, and these are garments, and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Liars. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Look at verse 15. And Joshua made, what's the next word, please? Peace with them. And made a what, please? League with them. Wait a minute. God had given commandment to Joshua, kill them all. They're the enemy of God. Wipe them out. But instead of Joshua obeying the Lord, you know what Joshua? Joshua made peace. Joshua reached out and he shook the hand and made peace with these enemies that God said, kill them and destroy them. Now, this was Grandpa Joshua. And then all of a sudden, Joshua set the tone for this generation that arose and knew not the Lord. How could Joshua have made peace with the enemy? And I want to tell you, the way you keep God alive in your life is this. Don't make peace with the enemy. Don't make peace. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not the scene. Your enemy are not the people around you. You know what your enemy is? The world, the flesh, and the what, please? The devil. We have made the enemy a person rather than what the God said was the enemy in the New Testament. And the enemy is what? The 
world, the what? Flesh and the what? Devil. What's the enemy? The world, the flesh, and that's your enemy. And I'm going to ask you tonight, could you be raising a generation that will, will arise with your last name and your DNA because there's something in this world right now that with the devil, the world, and the flesh, you are okay with doing Come on, let's get honest right now. Everybody here, we're surrounded by darkness, and we're surrounded by the flesh that wants the darkness, and at the back of it all is the devil pushing the darkness that your flesh just loved. What is it that you have now become okay with? You see, when you and I make peace with something that's in the world that appeals to the flesh and drags us to the darkness of the devil, then get ready. We are making a, look what it says there in verse 15. We are making a league. Did you see that? A league. And when you and I make a league. I want you right now to understand that as we live in the New Testament, everything that is written in the Old Testament is for our ensample. And where the Gibeonites were the physical enemy of God, and if you trace them out, there's a reason why God said wipe them all out. In the New Testament, God told us very clearly, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The enemy in your life will be. Can I ask you a question? What is it right now that you have allowed into your life, and I speak to myself, what is it that you've allowed into your life that that you know and that the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you? You say, how how does somebody do this? It's very simple. It's found right there in the verse. Look at Joshua chapter 9 and and look at verse 14. And the men took of their what? Don't you love that? That's a good southern term right there, amen? Can't you see the campfire and the baked beans being, okay. And and, and, and then the men took of their victuals. Here it is. Here's how it happened. And asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. There may be a generation that they want nothing to do with God, but let it be their choice not the path you put them on. Let it be their choice, but not the path. You say, Pastor, if Joshua wasn't smart enough for the Gibeonites, what makes me even think I'm smart enough to know what the flesh, the world, and the devil are throwing at me? You're not, but he is. And this has come down to the age-old problem in Christianity. We Don't seek the Lord enough. You know how you raise children? God, I'm not smart enough. God, I'm surrounded by darkness. God, this flesh loves that darkness. God, I know the devil's behind it. God, I need you. And I'm asking counsel. Emmanuel, listen to this. I hope we're not the kind of church to where we make fun of parents who are always seeking the word. This is not an intellectual institution. 
It's a spiritual gathering of the family of God. And our rule in faith and practice is this book right here. And we don't operate according to the last psychiatrist or psychologist that came along to tell us anything. We operate off the God that lives on the inside of us and the word of God that has been given to us. And we are to spend more time on our knees. Let me tell you something. I believe everybody ought to spend time in prayer. But in God's dear name, if you've got children living at home and if you've got children that now are parents, and if you've got grandchildren, they're better be extra time pulled on the side of the road and getting out and saying, God, I got to have some help. God, I don't even know what they're facing. I don't know what's going on, but God, help me. Help me not to make peace. I talk very little about my preaching and, and my traveling, and I'll reference two things tonight. I was preaching in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I forgot something at the hotel room. I forgot page two of my sermon. Y'all listen to this. When you forget page two of your sermon, it's like, mm, we got to pray. And so I took my hotel key and I turned around and flipped it to the assistant. And I said, look, room 306, I believe of what it was at the time. And I said, run to my room, go into my room and sitting and sitting on my on my, on my ironing board is that second page. He looked at that key and he said, like, you're going to let me go into your hotel room. And I said, yeah, just go to the hotel room. And, and just, it's sitting right, I know where it's sitting at, it's sitting right there. He came back and he brought back the second page and he said, um, wow, like you trusted me? And I was like, like, wow, I got anything to hide? You're going to die someplace. And somebody's going to clean out your office. And somebody's going to clean out your truck. And somebody's going to have to go through your computer. And somebody's going to have to go through your friends. And somebody's going to have to go through the paperwork. And if I had a nickel for 35 years of having to watch widows and widowers cry their eyes out because my husband and my wife was not the spouse I thought they were. The children have to come to grips with my, my dad was, my mom was not who I thought they were as a Christian. Let me tell you something. In God's dear name, would you clean up your life so that when you die on the spot that somebody that cleans out your stuff doesn't have to doubt God. When do we live that kind of life? You may think you're making peace, but one of these days we die. And husbands, listen to this. Stats tell us that you're going to die long before your wife does. And here's this wife that thinks you've been playing it straight all these years. Can we get down to business? But they're going to have to open up your phone, and they're going to have to open up your social media account. And God forbid, if your enemy that you were okay with, that it puts your children and grandchildren on the path. God who? You can fool them when they're three. You can fool them when they're four. But you can't fool them when they're a teenager. Generational Christianity starts with you and it starts now you you would hope you would hope 
So let me back up. There was a time when sermons like this would shake the very core and the very foundation. You know why it doesn't anymore? Because we are so good at resetting things. Reset the computer. Reset that. Reset that. We are so good conning people that if you drop dead, you can't con anybody after that. I'm begging all of us, don't make peace. It's not a person that's your enemy. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Would you go back to Judges chapter 1? In Judges chapter 1, we now keep going all the way through. And in Judges chapter 1, I want you to notice that because Joshua did not take care of the Gibeonites, that as you walk through this family's history, look at Judges chapter 1 and verse number 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley. Did, did you see that? This was the lead tribe. Go to verse 21. Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Look at verse 27. Manasseh didn't drive out the inhabitants of Bashan. Look at verse 29. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Look at verse 30. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Look at verse 31. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of, of, of Akko. Look at verse 13. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Did you know what is happening? It has become a domino effect of influence. Please don't think you don't influence somebody. Listen, older brother, you influence younger brother. Listen, older sister, you influence younger sister. Listen, college age, you influence high school. Listen, high school, you influence junior high. Listen to me, mama, you influence the children. Daddy, you influence those boys. Mama, you influence those girls. And you listen to me. Let's not let our influence be one of it's okay. It doesn't matter. After all, it doesn't send you to hell, not you. Not your generation, not the next generation, but there's a generation coming down that pike that we have so watered down God every time we turn around that they will rise up and say, God who? Not popular preaching these days, but I sure am feeling good right about now. It's true. It's true. We're getting ready to hold teen convention. Listen, Emmanuel. I am so praying that God lets our teenagers see their spiritual responsibility for children yet to be born. Do you realize in your DNA are children yet to be born? And they're not born into a Christian home because you have a fish on a t-shirt on the back of a car. They're born into a Christian home because you're like, we're not perfect people, but he's our God. And we're not perfect people, but that's worldly, son. We're not perfect people, but son, that, that only appeals to the flesh. 
We're not worldly people, but some that honors the devil more than it honors God. And we have acquiesced, we have abandoned the absolutes when it comes to God and when it comes to righteousness and it comes to holiness that we think we can dance with the devil on Saturday night and sing with God in a duet on Sunday morning and our kids are going to be okay. No, sir. No, ma'am. They're not going to be okay. That influence that you think nobody ever sees about you is real and it's alive and you're not to be perfect, but you are to be about God. When is the last time your children ever saw you repent about anything? I'm not mad at you. When's the last time your wife has heard from your lips, sir? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When's the last time, ma'am, that you are just like, I'm sorry. I don't believe that you can live in the flesh without a continuous repentance. Because we're not that good. We're not that good. How, how do you keep it, the generation of God alive? Don't make peace with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Realize your influence. And then can I take you to the, back to Judges chapter 1, verse 9, 19. Stop giving excuses. Stop giving excuses why you can't. Look what it says there. And the Lord was with Judah. And he drove out the inhabitants of the mount. Look at this. Look at the wording. But could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because. Would you look at that phrase and read that phrase with me out loud? Judges 1, 1, 19. Because. Read it. They had chariots of chariots of iron. Oh, you know, we can't drive them out. Because they got a hoopty of iron. They got a chariot of iron. That's bigger than who we are. Chariots of iron. Chariots. Was there any other time God's people faced chariots? Chariots of iron. Wow. Let's see here. This is the first time this family's ever faced an enemy with chariots? How many remember a time before that they faced an enemy with chariots? Who wiped out them chariots? If your daddy and your granddaddy and your great-granddaddy could wipe out their enemies, gasolines, topping $4, and if everybody listen to me online, if you're listening to your pastor right now, and that tank of gas kept you from coming to God's house, get you a bicycle, get you a good pair of shoes, get you some sketchers, and hike it to the house of God. And what we have done is we have reduced church to to where it's convenient rather than no, sir. I'm not making an excuse about God's house. And I'll tell you what COVID did. It's fired up a lot of pastors in this world to where I'm not going back again. We have made too many excuses. Well, I got to work in the morning. That's why I can't. We made too many excuses. When are we going to overcome excuses? This inhabitant of the valley had chariots of iron. Why couldn't they drive them out? Because they had a victim mentality rather than a victorious God ability. My God destroyed them chariots way back there with my forefathers. He can do it for me. Can I ask you a question? Myself included. What excuses are we making 
to why we're not living the victorious Christian life. What have we said? Well, you know, I would, but... car wouldn't start. Ah, yeah, I really wish I could, Pastor. Ah, you know? Well, you know, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. I didn't want to make waves. These excuses are going to be the building blocks for our children being victims. Is it quiet because I'm speaking the truth or because you're mad or... Y'all listen, don't hand our children a life filled with excuses. Hand our children a life filled with victories. They need to see you overcome. They need to see you swim upstream. They need to see you be peculiar. They need to see you take a stand. Where has your children seen you overcome? Do the conversations happen in your world like they did when I was a boy? And we lived four blocks from the church when my dad pastored at Faith Baptist Church. And um, we lived four blocks. And uh, it, I, I remember one time my mom and my my mom looked at hey, we're going to walk to church tonight. You know why we walked to church? Because we didn't have any gasoline. So we walked to church. I've often thought, praise God we only live four blocks from the church. Because <laughs> if we had lived any further from that church, I'm convinced that my mama would have said, come on, follow me. And all the great little children would have went and I let... When the, these excuses, and then would you go to Judges chapter 2? There was a generation that knew not the Lord. How did this happen? Was it because Joshua left an enemy in his day, not realizing his influence? And then these excuses came along. I'm just showing you glimpses in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 2. I want to show you the, the sad outcome if we don't get serious about God. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served. Who? Wow. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed, uh, followed other gods, the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to an anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal. And who's the next one? Ashtroth. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Baal was bad enough, but Ashtroth was the God that fed the flesh. Listen, the devil lost your soul the day you got saved. The day your children, Brother Thomas, the day that Peyton trusted Christ right down here, the devil lost that boy's soul. And so now he wants you to be a victim and roll over and play dead and don't, don't fight back. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. He's going to serve other gods. 
But guess where it all ends up? The flesh. Because God, the devil, excuse me, the devil wants to destroy the flesh. Listen, he wants to make it an addict. He wants the flesh to lose its morals. He wants the flesh to lose its purity. He wants the flesh just to go the way of all men. Ladies and gentlemen, I beg of you tonight, take seriously your responsibility. But God. You say, what, 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 what do I do? Keep God number one in your life. And I think there needs to be a revival tonight to where there may be a generation, but it will not be because I didn't keep God. I think all of us that are 50 and older recognize more and more when we see people having babies and we see people being born. Brother Miss Man, when you see your grandson Michael, jolly green giant of a boy he is, he's the beanstalk, not the giant. And, uh, but I think you're you well aware he's walking past y'all's casket one day. Y'all listen, we won't be around to see the babies get married. They will attend our funeral. And I don't know about anybody here, but when they pass my casket, I want them to be able to say that was not a perfect man, but that man loved that man kept God alive in his life. Emmanuel Baptist Church is unique and rare. Not special. Not anointed. Not Mecca. We're just unique and we're rare. And I'll tell you why. Because we are part of a remnant of churches in this world that still believe that God should control everything we do. And that is just not salvation. It's also sanctification. And that while we wait for his glorious appearing, that our sanctification should move us closer to his holiness. It doesn't make us better. We all struggle. But ladies and gentlemen, stay sensitive to God. Can I ask you single something? If you were to get married, what kind of mate would you choose? Then when you did have children, what kind of home would those children be born into? Do you know what kind of mate you're going to choose and what kind of home those kids would be born into? To the level you have God in your life right now. And that ought to scare you if you don't.